Hey there, it's Jeff MacArthur. Here's what's on the podcast today. Airbnb no longer allows house parties. Movie theaters are open once again. And the Toronto District School Board has decided on their back-to-school plan. All that coming up, so let's get to it. All right, is the party over at Airbnb? Airbnb announcing a global ban. That's right. Around the world, they're attempting to ban all parties at all of their rentals. Thorben Weiditz is with Fair B&B and joins us now for more on this on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Thorben, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us, Jeff. Well, thanks for being here as always. Uh, what has prompted this announcement by Airbnb? Um, as far as we can tell, it's the fact that Airbnb um, submitted uh, its IPO to um, the Securities Commission last week. So, you know, they are planning on going public. Um, and they have to address a number of risk areas in order to attract um, investors and shareholders. So, you know, I think this is what's been um, prompting um, a number of initiatives that Airbnb is currently undertaking. All right. So because of this IPO, maybe this company is showing a little more, I guess, corporate responsibility that I know uh, a lot of folks have been calling for? Yeah, 100%. I mean, they they try to. Um, there's a lot of, you know, performance involved in this because, um as we have talked about earlier, I believe in, in November 2019, um, Airbnb already um, banned party houses uh, after a uh, uh, after five people got shot at a big party in, in California. Um, in January, um, Airbnb introduced measures to stop party houses in Toronto after three people um, got killed at an Airbnb party in Toronto. And um, what all we know is that parties have never ended. And all we know is that Airbnb globally has uh, difficulties enforcing um, literally anything because, you know, as we know, they're dealing with millions of individual hosts. And it's very difficult to establish some sort of standard uh, across these, you know, millions of different operators. Um, There's very little they can do to actually um, enforce anything. Um, So, to us, it seems it's a, there's a lot of performance involved here um, in antici- anticipation of the IPO, and um, there's a need to address some of those risk factors. And, you know, disrupting parties is just something that, that goes hand in hand with the kind of absentee, landlord-driven inventory that Airbnb actually relies on in order to show the growth that they need to show in order to attract investors and shareholders. Um, so there is a bit, they're in a lose-lose situation here. They, they can't actually um, address the issue without um, getting rid of all these high-volume, multi-listing host operators of um, investment properties that uh, are nestled in the middle of our residential communities. Um, and on the other hand, um, trying to ban parties. I mean, there's nothing more convenient than having an absentee landlord renting out dozens of condo units um, if you want to throw a party. Um, and and on top of that, Airbnb limits the amount of participants um, in one entire home to 16. And, and that to us seems like a, a small, um, uh, I mean, that that's a party size already. Um, you know, what corner unit or what entire home? Um, yeah, because adding another layer to this, obviously, Thorben, is the pandemic. And there is word that uh, because so many bars and nightclubs have been uh, shut down, at least until uh, recently, Airbnbs have become a site that somebody will uh, rent and basically turn that rental into their own nightclub and uh, host a rather large gathering or party. A hundred percent. And we have seen this in Toronto. Um, there are a number of condo buildings where parties have never ended, even um, you know throughout the pandemic and even during the 
short-term rental ban that the province imposed um, earlier this year. And, um, you know, everyone knows about these buildings. The local councillors know about the buildings. Police knows about the buildings. Airbnb knows about these buildings. Um, yet these parties never stop. And to us, it seems, um, you know, the easiest thing ever to, to actually intervene here as a company. But um, they haven't done so. And, um, you know, it seems it's all a little bit um, too late um, to talk about banning party houses, you know, so short before um, Airbnb is trying to go public. Yeah, does this seem like window dressing in a way? I mean, is this truly enforceable? Can Airbnb really police all of its uh, rentals and keep occupancy to like 15 or or 16 people and break up uh, these parties? It's impossible. I don't think they can. Um, And they probably know very well that they can, but they also, um, in a bind here, they have to show that they're doing something. Um, the easiest thing for them to do, in, in our opinion, would be to actually help cities um, enforce their own bylaws. And in the city of Toronto, that would mean they would have to eliminate seven and a half thousand listings, um, the majority of which are investor-held absentee landlord-led properties that are very much conducive to these parties. And if they would just um, eliminate those listings, which they can do, um, that wouldn't take longer than five minutes. If we can identify 7,500 listings with uh, particular listing IDs associated to them, Airbnb can do this. Uh, they know exactly um, what kind of uh, listings they have. Um, that would actually solve a number of issues with regards to the housing market, with regards to neighbor disruptions, with regards to um, violent incidences. Yeah, do you think that's a better route or a better approach rather than Airbnb, who have announced this global ban on parties in their rentals and they are threatening legal action against any owner or a renter who does not abide by it? Uh, and again, do they really have the ability to truly police and prosecute something like this around the globe? I think it would be a much better way. Um, but again, the, you know, they are in a in a bind here, it's a lose-lose proposition because 74% of Airbnb's revenue, of the estimated revenue in Toronto, um, relies on these absentee landlords um, running ghost hotels. And if they want to go public, if they want to attract, attract investors and shareholders, they need to show growth and they cannot eliminate um, these operators from their platforms. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a terrible situation that they're in. On the one hand, they rely on absentee landlords running ghost hotels. Um, on the other hand, they uh, want to avoid uh, negative headlines and incidences that so tragically have shown um, how disruptive and how, how um, negative uh, these party houses have become across the world. All right. We will be watching this with interest. Thorben, really appreciate the time as always. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. There goes Thorben Weiditz with Fair B&B. Big news for movie lovers today. Cineplex says all of its theaters and entertainment venues are open for business. That's right. The movie exhibitor says that 164 theaters, 1,687 screens, and 10 entertainment complexes are all in operation again as of today. But what does movies here in the quote-unquote new normal, what is going to the movie theater look like? Earlier today on The Morning Show, our very own movie critic Vicki Sparks took us inside a movie theater to see what's changed. Have a listen.
we're back at one of my favorite places on earth, the movie theater, and I have missed it so much. If you're like me and you've been aching to spend a hot summer's afternoon in a cold, dark theater, now is your chance because theaters are reopened. But like so many of our favorite pastimes, things have changed. So here's what you should know. First, make sure to buy your movie ticket at home before you come to the theater. You need to reserve a seat because you can only sit with people who live in the same household as you. Reserved seating is now a VIP feature for everyone. Other than that, you need to make sure that you don't show up too early, more than 15 minutes early for your film, and they're gonna ask you to wait outside. The days of munching popcorn in the lobby and playing games for two hours before your showtime are over, sadly. Also keep in mind that if you live in a province or municipality that requires masks to be worn indoors, then you need to wear a mask at the movie theater. I've got mine, I can't wait to get inside, so let's mask up and go see a movie. The concession stand looks normal, but there are a couple of small changes here as well. They're not serving their entire menu worth of food. But don't worry, movie popcorn is still here because what's the point in coming to the movies without it? A good tip, though, is if you're going to be indulging in popcorn, bring some hand sanitizer with you. You can never keep your hands too clean these days. Other than that, you need to make sure to bring your debit or credit card. They're not accepting cash payments at this time to keep everybody a little bit safer. And of course, as always, make sure to social distance when you're in line six feet away from everyone. That's the new norm. When you go into a theater, you might see that things look pretty normal, but they're actually pretty different. You have to reserve your ticket online and you can only sit in pairs. So you can sit with someone who lives in your household, but that's it. This is my seat. No one else can sit beside me. It's actually kind of great. You chose the wrong profession. When your movie is over, it can't be a mad dash for the exit. So rows have to exit one at a time. And you have to make sure to take your garbage with you so that someone else doesn't have to touch it. When you get to the exit, a cast member will show you to the closest door to your theater. It may not be the same one that you came through because they're trying to avoid you congregating in the lobby. And in between every movie, the entire theater is sanitized to ensure that the next group of movie lovers can enjoy a clean and safe environment. I feel really good about the experience that we're offering, and and in part because of how diligent we've been, how focused our management has been, but also just because of the format of moving on. We schedule showtimes, we have reserved seating, we limit the capacity. There's things that other retailers just can't do, and so it's kind of unique in the things that we can do to make sure that when you arrive in the lobby, there's not congestion. When you're entering a theater, exiting a theater, you have lots of personal space. And we're in the theater by way of capacity reductions and our bigger recliner seats in most markets. It really works quite well. And if you're still feeling nervous about going back to the theater, there's always the option of taking a step back in time and checking out a movie at a classic drive-in, where social distancing is guaranteed. Absolutely. There's our film critic Vicki Sparks on the morning show earlier today on the reopening of movie theaters, which happens today coast to coast to coast. The Toronto District School Board has a new plan for bringing elementary students back to the classroom after a previous proposal rejected by the Ontario government. Alexander Brown is the TDSB chair and joins us now on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Alexander, good afternoon and thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. All right, uh, trustees approved a variety of motions yesterday, and I want to run a few of those down if we could. And let's start with the class size, where the TDSB, you want to see it capped in uh, what are considered high-risk COVID neighborhoods? Yes, that's correct. So we're looking at a cap of 15 students on junior and senior kindergarten, and then from grades 1 to 8, the cap would be, a hard cap would be 20. 
All right. And uh, how have we determined uh, which neighborhoods those hard caps uh, would apply to when we look at uh, high risk areas? We, we've um, we've been working with Toronto Public Health throughout uh, this whole process, and um, within the last week or so, they provided the TDSB with a list of 81 schools in the city that are located in those high-risk areas, and they've further refined that. So we continue to work with them uh, to roll out this plan. Yeah. Are you, the school board, surprised that wasn't part of the government's plan? Because that just seems to make good sense, to take some of this... Uh health information and news from health officials and the data and apply it. I mean, if there's a high-risk neighborhood here, doesn't it make sense that we need more distancing? Well, absolutely. Uh, we, we know that the physical distancing is the number one way of, well, uh, reducing the spread of it. And then there are other measures that uh, I think are like hand washing and masks, but the, so the physical distancing is number one. And, and in terms of the provincial government's uh, involvement, um, I think I would put it this way. You know, some of us have in the past had uh, homework partners that we've worked with on an assignment. And one of those um, partners may not have put as much work into it as the others. And I think um, that's how I'd characterize this. Do you kind of feel as if the Ontario government is that student that says, oh, sorry, the dog ate my homework? Kind of, yeah. Like, you know, we have to compensate for the fact that somebody in the group didn't do as much work as the other ones. But I don't want to say that they haven't done a lot of work. They have been doing work. I just don't know that the process uh, from the beginning, getting everyone together at one table uh, and talking about it, here's our goal, let's work backwards and make sure that we can accommodate where we need to. Because, again, I've said this before, uh, it's, it, it really can't be a one-size-fits-all formula for this. All right, you mentioned a second ago about physical distancing and the importance of that. When it comes to space, Alexander, is there enough school space in the Toronto District School Board for every elementary student to return to class and be properly distant right now? Uh, well, using our model, the one that we passed yesterday, um, all other schools other than the, the ones that we're, we talked about earlier about in the high-risk areas will have slightly larger class sizes. So um, those schools were going, are, are going to be a bit more of a challenge um, to ensure that we can uh, make sure that, you know, we socially, dis- we uh, physically distance uh, as much as possible. Uh, we did a survey, uh, what we call it a survey, but it was actually pre-registration, and we got uh, about 75% of those families saying that they were going to have their kids come back. So our model that we passed assumes 80% of the kids will come back and we should be able to um, get all of them back. We've identified just four schools that would need extra space. If 100% of the, the kids return, we would have to deal with about 34 schools that would be short of space. But we can jump in uh, in with the uh, offer that the city has given us uh, to use their libraries and other facilities throughout uh, throughout the city. Yeah, does the school board, does it have a sense uh, when you say if 80% of students returned uh, in person, and this has been such a debate over the last couple of weeks, something we've talked endlessly about on the phones with uh, parents, whether or not you feel comfortable and if your child will be safe enough returning to the uh, classroom. Do you have a sense as to what the percentage is of parents that are actually going to return their kids to school? Well, I mean, that's a good question. And uh, the, the school board uh, is sending, is going to be sending out another uh, email to all parents with a, a uh, another, uh, we're calling it a registration, I think now. And we're asking two simple questions. The first one is, 
Uh, will you be sending your kids back to the physical classroom environment? Yes or no. And the second one would be, uh, are you going to uh, keep your kids at home and do the virtual environment? Yes or no. So once we get that survey done, that's going to start around August 25th and close on the 29th. We'll have that information. And then locally, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll know what the percentage is or uh, an idea that and we'll be able to work with the local schools to, uh, you know, um, try to get the class sizes as small as possible. All right. But as of right now, you don't have a sense as to what percentage, how many parents are actually going to send their kids back to school? So based on the survey that we had that we did before, it was around between 70 and 75 percent. I'm not exactly sure what the number was. All right. Uh, You've also uh, earmarked a significant amount of money for hiring additional teachers. Can you tell us about that and why there's the need? Well, the, the need is uh, to ensure that we can lower the class sizes. So we're, we're going to try to create cohorts of students that will stay together. Uh, and then the smaller the group, the better. The money uh, that we're, we uh, allocated to that has come from our reserves, about $30 million. Um, in total, we're looking at uh, around $39 million. Uh, some of that came from the province uh, that they committed to staffing, and then some of it also comes from our regular budget. So that money will be used to hire those uh, um, 766 teachers, 400 of which are actually just uh, employees that we have now that will be redeployed uh, into classrooms. Okay, but these teachers, these additional teachers, would they be full-time teachers uh, hired and stay with the system, or is this just a temporary uh, measure? I think that that isn't clear right now, but it might be temporary uh, uh, to get us through this. And then um, ultimately we would go back to, uh, if we get through this virus and there aren't any other um, uh, you know, issues or that, come, that come up about it, uh, we would be probably going back to the regular class sizes after that. And so we, there wouldn't be a need for these teachers uh, at that point. Joined by uh, Alex. But I would say just one thing, there's always a need for more teachers because one of the issues that we hear about uh, on a regular basis, even before the pandemic ever hit, was the class sizes are too large. So we have to deal with that issue uh, on a regular basis. Joined by Alexander Brown, the new chair of the Toronto District School Board, and the new plan that has been put forward as of uh, yesterday, late uh, yesterday, regarding back-to-school plans. Uh, There's also a a call, I understand, for a delay to the start of the school season. Is that right, Alexander? Yeah, no, uh, that is what we're going to be doing. Uh, So kids will not be back into school uh, from September 8th until uh, September 14th, which is the following Monday. So that first week basically will be used for uh, as, as a time when teachers and principals and vice principals and our custodians will all go in and set the schools up, set the classrooms up, go through the protocols, the safety protocols, and make sure that everyone's feeling really confident before the kids start coming back on September 15th. And everyone should be in back to school by the end of that week. Uh, we're going to use a staggered return, maybe by grades. Um, so each day you'll, you'll increase the size of the, uh, the number of kids back in the schools. Yeah, is the start, as far as the school board is concerned, is it staggered enough? Another thing we have talked about uh, the last uh, week and a half, a lot of folks are pointing to Denmark and just how successful they have been in relaunching uh, the school season. And one of the things they did was a real staggered start, particularly with the youngest uh, students and grades got them in first and got them used to face masks and uh, physical distancing. And it was something that was a manageable number for teachers. Are we doing this uh, in enough of a staggered fashion, do you think? Um, 
I can't answer as to whether we're doing it in enough of a of a staggered fashion, but I would say that uh, it's very it's a prudent move to do it in a staggered fashion. And um, I guess if we feel that it needs to go slower, we could. All right, where does this uh, go from here? As we mentioned, uh, you know, your board uh, approved this. Does this go now to the Ontario government? Uh, my understanding is that they have taken a look at our plan and it said, go ahead. So you've got the green light on this. That's what I understand. It's a uh, uh, full full steam ahead. We're ready to go. Okay, so this really kind of addressed whatever shortcomings the government uh, felt uh, was in your plan the first time around. I assume it does, yes. Yeah. And I know the big headline from the Toronto District School Board earlier this week and from you was the quote, barring a miracle, we will not be returning <laughs> uh, September the 8th. So is there a miracle in this plan? Is that what we've seen? Is this the miracle that the school board needed or wanted? Well, we're not going back on September 8th, but I'm going to say that the miracle came from our director of education, Carlene Jackson, and all of our staff who have, uh, I mean, basically every single day for probably two weeks been uh, on conference calls, uh, working late nights to get this done. Um, We've all been really hyper-focused on the safety issue and the class size issue. Um, and, and we really just we really want to get all the kids back in class and enjoying learning again in safe environments. And that includes uh, safety for our teachers and everyone else in our schools. Speaking of that safety, I'd be remiss if I let you go and didn't ask you about face masks, something else that's uh, been in the news and the recommendation that uh, there should be face masks for all, including the uh, youngest grades. Is that something that the school board uh, supports still wants? Well, the, the other, the other, actually, yesterday, uh, the school board passed a motion that uh, requires now all kids uh, in the JK to um, grade three category who were exempt from this before um, to uh, have the masks on. Uh, and we're just following Toronto Public Health's advice. We've been following them all along. Um, in the case where we can't ensure that we're going to be able to have the two meter physical distancing. Um, the masks were a, a, just another layer of safety. I, I suspect, though, for the youngest grades, uh, this will be a learning o- a, an opportunity, an educational opportunity for our teachers to uh, explain about the masks and what's going on. And, and then often, I think, they'll be taking them out as much as possible into the outdoor classroom environment so they don't have to have them on as often. Uh, locally, I think each school will come up with a, a pretty good plan to address those issues. Is that an educational first, by the way? Because I remember being in class and wanting to have class outside on a nice day, and the answer was always no. We're we're actually going to get to class outside during the summer. Well, you know, we have a, a number of outdoor education centers at the TDSB, and and kids go uh, and sometimes stay overnight. They go for uh, lessons during the day. Um, I, I would like to see more of that. Obviously, there is an advantage to it. And yes, uh, I don't I'm not sure if it's an educational mm-hmm. first, but but. Uh, I've seen pictures from 1918 during that pandemic of kids outside teaching, uh, studying uh, in their desks. They had desks outside, the big old Victorian ones. So that, that's also something that happened here in Toronto back in, in the earlier uh, part of the last century where they actually had the desks, those big, heavy iron desks outside for uh, kids for health reasons as well. I think it was uh, more related to tuberculosis and stuff like that. Interesting. And a very interesting plan put forward by the Toronto District uh, School Board. Alexander Brown, the uh, chair, really appreciate the time. Thanks for running it down for us this afternoon. Absolutely no problem. Thanks.
And that's our podcast for today. Don't forget, you can catch me on The Jeff MacArthur Show weekdays from 1 to 3 right here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.